Let's pick up in Daniel 6, and we're going to read through it, and then we're going to take a look at a couple things. Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces, and he appointed a prince to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the princes and to watch out for the king's interest. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and princes. Because of his great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Then the other administrators and princes began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling his affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize. He was faithful and honest and always responsible, so they concluded our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the requirements of his religion. So the administrators, princes, went to the king and said, long live King Darius. We administrators, prefects, princes, advisors, and other officials have unanimously agreed that your majesty should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, anyone who prays to anyone divine or human except to your majesty will be thrown to the lions. And let your majesty issue and sign this law so it cannot be, re- be changed, a law of the Medes and Persians which cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows towards, open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. The officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. So they went back to the king and reminded him about his law. Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days, anyone who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to your majesty, will be thrown to the lions? Yes, the king replied. That decision stands. It is a law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they told the king. That man, Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is paying no attention to you or your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Hearing this, the king was very angry with himself for signing the law, and he tried to find a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of that day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. In the evening, the men went together to the king and said, your majesty knows that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no law the king signs can be changed. So at last, the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, may your God, whom you worship continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles, so that no one could rescue Daniel from the lions. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. Very early the next morning, the king hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God, whom you worship continually, able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, long live the king. My God sent his angels to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and ordered the den to be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. He had them thrown in the lion's den along with their wives and children. The lions leaped on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. Then King Darius sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. He is the living God. He will, he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. (laughs) 
So we've done this before. We've looked at this passage before. Reading through it a second time, I'm curious. What jumps out? What, com- what, what comes to light? What do you see? What do you sense when you're reading through it? Go ahead. King's new decree. Daniel prospered. Oh, that's great. Facing a death sentence, decided to give thanks instead of complaining. Love that one. Yeah, Darius is mad at himself for signing the law. It's the first king we see who actually takes responsibility for his decision in this whole book. What else? What else jumps out? Cared about God more. Yeah, cared about God's perspective more than he cared about circumstance. Yeah, he wasn't afraid in spite of his circumstance. He might have been afraid, but what we definitely see is he was courageous to step into them. I love that. What else? It's not mine, but a couple of weeks ago, someone brought up the fact that it was only 30 days. He didn't have to do that. He could have Right. It was only 30 days. Daniel made a choice to stand his ground when he could have just kind of quietly recluded into the situation, waited till it passed. Great insight. What else? I saw other hands. Yes. Yeah, such a great point. The first thing Daniel says isn't, yes, you idiot, I'm still here. <laughs> he works back in just in honor. Long live the king. I love that. Well, it talks about in 26 that the issues that decree that the kingdom must be and reverence are Daniel because of the signs and wonders that they've been rescued. So then, like Darius as a pagan, it is believed that most scholars believe that King Darius ends his life as a believer. Um, But in this moment, as a pagan king, he makes this statement that, in fact, it's kind of one of the points that I have in the teaching, which is I think sometimes we lean on the miraculous as a last resort. We lean on the reality of God's supernatural as the last resort. If everything else doesn't work, I'll trust God for a miracle. And Darius just makes this blunt, matter-of-fact statement. This is what he does. He rescues and saves. He performs the miraculous. So for me, it causes this thing inside of me to say, what's it look like for us to live from that place to say, every time I encounter a person that needs salvation, that needs to be rescued from a situation, what's it look like for me to just be able to say to them, you just need to meet my father. This is what he does. What's it look like when I I encounter an actual need that is going to require something supernatural instead of going... I don't know, let's pray, to just sit in a spot going, look, this is who he is, this is what he does. If my father fixes this stuff. I see Darius living from a place, just making a statement that was about the fact of this is who God is, not this is what he might be able to do. Any other thoughts? Dangerous for a believer to be in politics. (laughs) It's dangerous for a believer to be in politics. It's truth. We saw something in teaching team, Mike Napa called it out that I had not seen before. These, these, uh, all these different governors come and they, make, they lie. We, the leadership, have unanimously decided. Daniel wasn't a part of that decision, yet he was a leader. They were trying to preempt Daniel being put in authority over them. 
Why? I think it's because they knew Daniel was gonna hold them to a kingdom standard. He was gonna require honesty. He was gonna get rid of politics. He was gonna get rid of corruption. And so they knew what was getting ready to happen. The thing that I wanted to share with us before we go, we have about six minutes, that jumps out at me is this phrase, Daniel knelt down as usual. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open towards Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day just, that he has always, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Does it capture anybody else, this phrase, as usual, that jumps out here? That Daniel has this regular prayer life. And so the first question I wanna ask is, well, what was he doing? Was it just a religious exercise? The word prayer here is not just an act. In fact, Jesus will teach in Matthew 7 that you can actually be in the posture of prayer and completely miss the point. It says this, Jesus' words, and when you pray, don't keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. You see, prayer is not just a posture, because you can be in the posture of prayer and do it incorrectly. What prayer is, we learn really from when the disciples have been around Jesus for two plus years at this point, and they're trying to figure out what makes Jesus Jesus. What makes him different? Where does he get this authority? Where does he get this power? What's going on with him that we've never seen with anybody else? And they finally figure it out. They figure out that it's his, this thing he constantly does, where it says that Jesus would regularly pull away to pray. And so they say to him, this is my paraphrase. We think we figured out what makes you, you. We think we figured out the source of your strength. Will you teach us how to pray? And so he begins with what we know as the Lord's Prayer. And it's great that we can recite it. It's great that, that we know how to say that and, and we have it committed to memory. But I think sometimes because of that, we miss really the, the, what I think is the secret to the Lord's Prayer. It's this first two-word phrase that Jesus starts with. Because what he teaches in this is that the fundamental paradigm for prayer is a relationship to a father. It's the posture we're supposed to be in. And what he indicates to us is that prayer is rooted in relationship. And what we've been invited into is a relationship with a loving dad. And prayer is simply how we talk and connect to this Father. Prayer is nothing other than that. It's how we connect and talk to Dad. My concern is that I think we, if I took a poll right now and said, by the showing of hands, how many people believe prayer is important? Pretty, pretty clear this would be 100% of the room. Be like, yep, prayer is important. And I know that we believe that, and I think we understand its importance, but I think there's a dangerous, dangerous problem in our day and our time. Few people practice the systematic discipline of prayer. And what we see in Daniel's life is a systematic discipline. And I want to give us just three quick points out of that. A few truths that would allow us to begin to build our lives like Daniel's life. Because I think that Daniel's life shaped the world around him because of this discipline of prayer. The first one that we see in Daniel, first, first tip, let's call it that. Set your time and be consistent. When it comes to this thing called prayer, set your time when you're going to pray and be consistent. 
That sounds like legalism. I want you to think about this. Daniel was so consistent in his prayer life that the world around him knew where and when to find him. Those guys that set him up knew exactly where to go and they knew when to go to find Daniel praying. So this word, as usual, tells us that Daniel had a systematic pattern where he was going to be consistent. And it tells me that the first key to a vibrant prayer life is consistency. I think Daniel did something that's important for us to consider. I think Daniel built his life around his prayer schedule. He didn't build his prayer schedule around his life. Darius will make a declaration to Daniel, which is the second thing I want to call out. May your God, who you worship continually. The word continually here means perpetually. It's the root idea of dwelling in or living in something. And it tells me that Daniel lived as a worshiper all the time. What does that mean? It means that Daniel didn't wait for an event to worship. Daniel realized every aspect of his life, no matter whether it was work or hobby, grocery store, driving, ouch, and no matter what it was, was worship. What do I mean by worship? It means that his life was going to be lived in such a way that he would constantly be reflecting the Father, drawing people's attention to the Father. He was never going to take a moment off and say, hey, this is, this is really not church stuff. This is just business stuff, so I can be whoever I want to be. No, he understood that worship was 24-7 because Darius says, what I know about you, Daniel, is you're worshiping him all the time. I would say your life, every moment of it, 24-7 is an act of worship. There's some truths I love. You see, praise and thanksgiving. This is what we see Daniel do. First thing we see him do is kneel down and thank God. Praise and thanksgiving set my perspective and my expectation. When I'm giving thanks, I start living thankful. When I'm praising, I'm not complaining. It's very, very difficult, near impossible, to live this lifestyle of gratitude and still be a pessimist. Anyone else feel like you were gifted with a critical spirit? <laughs> Praise and thanksgiving are the antidote to that. If you find yourself in a negative headspace all the time where you're so good at analyzing and criticizing things, I would suggest you need to begin an intentional life of thanksgiving and praise. The third thing I see Daniel do, he sets a habit of reconnecting throughout his day. He develops a pattern of staying connected with God. And think about what happens. So we see Daniel pray three times a day. Early church prays 9 a.m., noon, 3 p.m. This is the pattern of the early church. This is Paul's pattern. And we start to see a grid develop in the scriptures where there are all of these men and women of faith who have this systematic encounter with God. And what happens when we live that way is we tend to live differently. Because we live with the knowledge that I'm getting ready to come back into his presence. I'm going to go connect face to face with God again. And so I'm less likely to live out of my own sin nature. I'm less likely to move into patterns that I know are stupid because I'm just going to have to apologize for them in two hours. So what am I calling us to? I want to know if we would consider this. 
The early church lives this pattern of 9 a.m., noon, 3 p.m., three times a day. We see the early church function in an incredible release of the supernatural in their day and in their time. Is it possible that we've been hungry for the presence of God to invade our city and what we've been missing is this systematic daily discipline of getting face to face with God? What does it look like for us to become a people that prioritize daily connecting with the Father multiple times? Are you calling me to three times a day? No, the Bible kinda is. I can't give you a number. I would say if you've never developed a systematic encounter with God, start with one. Set a time. Don't wait for time to develop. Don't wait for a pocket. Like, ooh, I can take some time to pray. It just won't happen. But set an intentional time to say, I'm gonna get face to face. I can't hear his voice. That's a lie. The scriptures actually say the opposite. I don't know how to hear his voice. That's true. It's developed. How do babies learn to talk? They hang out with people that talk. You want to learn to hear God's voice? Sit with the scriptures and talk to him, and sooner or later you begin to hear him. I don't know if I believe in a God that talks. I don't know what to tell you except the scriptures say he does. There's no indication in the scriptures that God quit talking, ever. That's a man-made idea, not a biblical idea. And so I want to challenge us to be a people that put roots down and say, you know what? I am going to build an encounter with God. Let's stand. Let's stand.